Hello, and welcome to episode 136 of Pop Culturally Deprived, where each week we watch a movie I've never seen before, which is most of them, and talk about the good, the bad, and the civilization. This week, we're starting Vampire Month with the 1992 version of Bram Stoker's Dracula on your I Am the Monster That Breathing Men Would Kill podcast. Find me on Twitter if you'd like to chat about movies you haven't seen at Mandy K. And I'm Matthew Vose. You can join me on Twitter at Matthew Vose, where I talk about vampire films because 5% of the films I've watched this year so far have been vampire films. You don't like vampires or anything, do you? Deep in vampire lore. It's almost funny how many I haven't seen, given how many I have seen. Okay. Interesting. You know? Yeah. (laughs) I mean, there's a lot of vampire stuff out there. There's a lot of bad vampire stuff out there. That's what I'm learning. (laughs) (laughs) Like, ooh, that sounds really interesting. Hey, you know, Amy Heckling and Alicia Silverstone back together doing a vampire film with Sigourney Weaver. Vamps was not that good. There was a vampire movie with Alicia Silverstone and Sigourney Weaver in it? Uh, uh, Vamps. Alicia Silverstone and Kristen Ritter are California girl type vampires. Really? in New York. Sigourney Weaver is their sire. Wallace Shawn is Van Helsing. Okay, I need to see this movie. I don't care if you say it's bad. I need to see this it movie. It was not that great. <laughs> I will probably love it. Bits of it were quite fun. Okay. I met someone at school. He's goofy, but cute. What's his name? His name is Joey Van Helsing. What? I can't even remember what Alicia Silverstone's plot was. Oh, wow. Okay. Well, yeah. I'm going to have to put that on my personal list and, and give it a go. I've also watched David Bowie as a vampire. That was interesting in The mm. Hunger. Interesting. Uh, and others. Three different versions of Dracula. We're prepping for this. This is not how we were supposed to start the show. No, it's not. So let's pause on the vampire talk <laughs> and let's tell everybody about our really, really, really exciting announcement. Really exciting announcements. I'm really excited about this. I've been waiting to talk about this for a couple months now because we've been mm. planning this. We are completely revamping how our Patreon works. We're revamping all of the tiers. We have new rewards. Matthew, do you Mm -hmm. want to tell folks some of those exciting rewards that are coming? Yep. So we've brought in new digital rewards. We've got a few shows that we're doing. I'm going to be doing my Matthew's Movie Mentions discussion of films uh, every month. We're going to talk about the best films I've seen and do some recommendations, which may or may not have more vampire films. We're going to do a show together where we talk about the pop culture stuff that we don't talk about Mm -hmm. on the show. If that makes any sort of sense. We're going to be giving pop culture deprived early access to people and more. And then we've got physical rewards as well. Oh, I'm so excited. We have actual swag to give to people now. (laughs) So everyone will probably remember a few weeks ago we did a giveaway of some exciting stickers and magnets and coasters. We are now including them as part of our Patreon rewards. So depending on what level you are able to back us at, you are going to get some physical stuff from us. Physical merch. Yes, every patron will get something physical from us, um, including a signed personalized note card. Um, that will go to everybody who um, decides to support us through Patreon. And then every other level gets an increased amount of physical merch, which I'm really super excited about. 
And we have also decided to open our Discord server up to every uh, reward tier on Patreon instead mm. of limiting it to some of the higher ones. We want to open our community just to everybody because we recognize that not everybody is a fan of Twitter, which is where most of our conversations happen. So we are wanting to provide that space for more interactive conversation in a place that's not the dumpster fire of the world <laughs> and discord is kind of cool because we do get to have proper in-depth chats about things yeah it's not this kind of disposable post a thing and then come back to it ages ages later or, mm-hmm. or completely forget that it happened we can we can type out full length things and share pictures and stuff it's awesome yes. Yes. yes, it's wonderful. So if you are interested in any of our new uh, reward tiers, any of our new merch, you can find out more by going to patreon.com slash eloquent gushing. Excellent. It's amazing the support we get from people already. Um, we're doing this because we want to make sure our existing supporters are suitably rewarded. You know, if you've been backing us already, we're going to be shipping stuff out to you. And we want people who come on new to get exciting stuff from us. It's The Patreon's been running a couple of years and it's helped us to do some awesome things. We've launched new shows. We've been to events. We've completely mm-hmm. upgraded our equipment. Uh, so we sound really nice, really silky in your ears. Hey, exactly. how's it going? How you doing? <laughs> uh, <laughs> and that's all because of the support we get on Patreon. So everyone who supports us from you know the $1 supporters up to the, what are we up to now? We've got a $20 level. Yes. I think as well. Everyone, I, I love you all. It's fantastic. So thank you very much, everyone who does support us. Thanks to everyone who is going to join up because there's awesome rewards. And you like the shows that we do. So it's awesome to be able to support things. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. We would not be able to do all of the shows that we do besides Pop Culturally Deprived if we didn't have those Patreon supporters. So mm. if you're listening and you support us, absolutely thank you. Um, look for some stuff in the mail from us soon. If you have been thinking about supporting us, now is a great time to join us. And I can't wait to see what exciting things we get to do in the future. But today, vampires. 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 So this is us crossing over from Keanu Month into Vampire Month. Uh, and Dracula was the only one it could be. Yes. Both so that we can start off with the the, the core of the vampire myth, because as much as the vampire myth existed before Dracula, and there was the book Vam- Vampire, <laughs> with a Y, that was, I think, like 70 years before Dracula or something, this is the one that popularized it. These mm-hmm. are the films that popularized it, and this is the myth that everyone kind of goes to. The Count the Central Eastern European accent, the aspects of turning into a bat, the various bits of mythology, they come from this. Okay, yeah, that's true. And then the fact that it's got Keanu Reeves in it, it's the perfect film for us to do. Yeah. So I made a comment to Joseph when I was watching this yesterday, and I said, it feels like this movie decided to take every possible vampire fiction trope ever and put Mm. them all into the same movie. And he said... Where do you think those movie tropes came from? <laughs> I said, "Oh yeah, everything we know about vampires really did come from Dracula." So that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. yeah. There's a, and there is a lot in this that I think we'll find as we go through that gets thrown out that other people don't pick mm-hmm. up and use. There's there, there are things in this that are sorry. There are things that are not in this that are used elsewhere. The mm-hmm. one that's coming to mind is the cannot enter without an invite i don't think that's part of the dracula myth because it has this romantic gothic he comes in the balcony and i want to suck your blood (laughs) that thing which 
So I've watched a lot of Dracula films. Mm-hmm. I went back to the Bela Lugosi version. I've watched the Christopher Lee version. I've watched this. I've watched spin-offs of it and other, other takes on it. None of them say, I want to suck your blood. That is, I think, just a trope that has sort of spurned out of the ether. Mm-hmm. That's possible. <laughs> but, but is there it's... like a satire somewhere that did it? I don't think so. I've seen a few of them and again tried a few of the comedies as well. But I, I think it is just a thing that people... Because you get to say the word vunt, so it sounds Romanian-Hungarian. <laughs> that sort of yeah, Transylvanian maybe. area. <laughs> maybe. Okay. So, let's talk Dracula. Uh, I think we'll dig into... We will spend a bit of time on Keanu later, I think. But let's talk vampires and Dracula up top. I, I think from previous discussions we've had, you quite like the vampire myth in general and vampire stories. Well, I do. I mean, especially when you consider that my favorite television show of all time is Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Yeah. So maybe I like the slaying of vampires more than the vampires? Possibly so. Maybe. Is is there anything about the vampire myth that you particularly like? I think what's always drawn me to the vampire myth is the romanticism of it. You know, romanticizing the idea that you can have eternal life with your true love. Right. And so mm-hmm. I tend to completely overlook the the violence and the death mm. and the um, abuse and non-consensual relationships nature of <laughs> yeah. vampirism. You know, I, I tend to overlook all of that because I focus on it's just so wonderfully romantic to be able to spend the rest of eternity with your one true love. Mm. Yeah. Not that the... I've ever actually seen an example of this happening successfully, even in fiction. Okay. You know, you okay. would expect it to, you've got your angel and Darla. That was only 150 years. Ugh, only you've got Spike and years. Drusilla. Again, it's probably only 100 years or so. Mm. You know, your your OTPs never quite last as long as you think they're going to, but that possibility is there. Okay. And I think it's that possibility that sets my heart aflame. Okay. And, and that is... Something that is taken in a lot of vampire myths, I think Mm -hmm. particularly from the sort of 80s, 90s onwards. I think I've talked previously about how, like, I think we did this on the the Twilight discussion. Kind of the vampire myth goes through, it sort of matches what genres are are possible to do at the cinemas. That's why vampire movies kind of change. You have a very long period where it was Dracula or Nosferatu, Bride of Dracula, Son of Dracula, Daughter of Dracula, that Mm -hmm. kind of thing. In this, you know, very classic story, as a monster, but not a monster monster. Mm-hmm. Not like a wolf man or zombie or something. They're a bit different because they're thinking, so there are emotions and relationships attached to it. And then you get into the kind of 70s and 80s, and, and it becomes more about a monster thing. And we'll see this when we come, I think, to Fright Night. And there are some modern examples of this, 30, day, 30 Days of Night. Um, John, I'm going to say John Carpenter's Vampires, I think, was a bit like this. Where it is just, we're not thinking of the vampire necessarily as a thinking thing. Mm-hmm. It's just something that's trying to kill you. It's another version of a Mike Myers type killer. Okay, yeah. And then you move into a little bit this version, the kind of almost the updating of the gothic horror with this and what Anne Rice did. Right. I think very much lends in the, the origin of the myth, but, but again, for the films, they can do a lot more with the way they stage it and the different time periods you see and the depth of story because people are able to accept a deeper story. And then you move into the modern stories that are very much Discovery of Witches, Twilight. 
you know, the stuff mm-hmm. that we've talked about before, and then a number of sort of smaller movies. But you talking about this forever love reminds me of one called Only Lovers Left Alive. How can you have lived for so long and still not get it? This self-obsession, it's a waste of living. It could be spent on surviving things, appreciating nature, nurturing kindness and friendship, and dancing. Okay. Which is about two very old vampires who don't live together, but they are clearly in a very, very long-term relationship. So mm-hmm. they come together sometimes, and then they go off and do their own thing, and then they come back together, and they've learned how to live in society, that kind of thing. Okay. That's, and that was a very good. interesting. Uh, and the main two vampires were Tilda Swinton and Tom Hiddleston. So it okay, was quite Okay, I good. need to know more about this movie. <laughs> you know. I mean, two people who look like vampires. <laughs> right, yeah. <laughs> well, so given all of these vampire films that you've been watching, do you have a favorite, or do you have a favorite vampire? Oh, a favourite vampire. Um, we're we're going to cover a couple of them. Blade stands alone in some ways. Okay. Or, or, almost in the Buffy mode, you know, action, mm-hmm. sort of modern vampire. And, and we'll see some of this sort of modern take on, on that kind of thing. Blade is a very good film, and I like him as a character. I I said on the Twilight one, what we do in the shadows stands apart for me because it does stuff. But I think it's because it's then doing stuff on top of existing knowledge of the vampire myth. Like, if you didn't understand some of the aspects of vampirism, Mm -hmm. not being able to show up in a mirror, um, being able to fly, being able to transform into animals, that kind of thing, it would be a very confusing movie. But because it is a movie that is a comedy about these things that we know very well that we've seen in all these films. Right. Wonderful. Yeah, made to delight me. Okay. Mm. Okay. In pure vampire films, pure actual things, I'm not sure. Certainly the ones I've seen this year, nothing standing out and making me go... Oh, that was wonderful. That was really... I think vampire... This is my theory. I said on Twitter that I have a theory about it. I've got a theory. I have a theory that vampire films are better when the vampire is a protagonist. Or at least we spend time in his point of view understanding him or her. Then. Okay. Because I've watched a few, particularly two of those Dracula films, where it was all about the people moving against Dracula and trying to take him down. And the better version of that was the Bela Lugosi one, which felt like we were in Dracula's point of view for most of it. And okay. we were seeing his machinations. And it right, reminds so me you, of... you felt empathy for him. Not necessarily empathy, but understanding. A little bit like how I spoke, talked about again with Twilight. Like, right. I would have enjoyed seeing Edward's take on these things. Right. Okay. Because seeing Bella's take left us with a bit of ambiguity. Uh, I feel like some of that is because it's an adaptation of a book talking to Catherine she says the books it's much clearer and, and much better to be right. in Bella's point of view but yeah I don't have that knowledge okay mm. all right well I don't I've read a lot more vampires than I've right? seen okay. a lot more vampires mm. particularly in the last 10 years or so when mm. vampire fiction just exploded in yeah. both adult fiction and young adult fiction um and and so when I I, I can't come up with a favorite vampire movie I mean, if okay. I had to say, I'd probably say Buffy. But, I mean, let's be real. The Buffy movie's not not good. You want me to go to the graveyard with you because I'm the chosen one and there are vampires? Yes. Does Elvis talk to you? 
it's not. Um, but I can speak to specific favorite vampires mm. in, in life. Um, of course, at the top of the list are going to be Angel and Spike. I helped save the world, you know. Like I haven't. Yeah. But I've done it a lot more. Oh, please. Close the hell mouth. I've done that. Yeah, you wore a necklace. You know, I helped kill the mayor and, uh, and Jasmine. And Do those really count as saving the world? I stopped the Kothla. That saved the world. Buffy ran you through with the sword. Yeah, but I made her do it. I signaled her with my eyes. She killed you. I, I can't have a vampire list that doesn't have Angel and Spike on it. <laughs> um, and so then I started thinking, what other characters have I really felt drawn to in this space that are vampires versus... Right. The, the people who are fighting against the vampires or who are just tangential to the vampires, right? Mm. Um, because typically in these stories, you don't just have vampires. You also have witches and you have werewolves and you have sometimes fairies and, and other mm. supernatural yeah. slash paranormal creatures. And so sometimes it's not even the vampires that I'm thinking about. And so I had to kind of go through this list in my head. And I came up with Eric Northman from True Blood. Mm-hmm. And uh, Matthew de Claremont from Discovery of Witches, who yep. we talk about extensively on our Discovery of Witches podcast, Desire Made Real. Mm. Um, Stefan and Damon from the Vampire Diaries, but from okay. the books, not the TV okay. show. Oh. I was thinking about this, and I think the Vampire Diaries was my actual introduction to vampires in fiction. I am pretty sure I read those books before I ever saw Buffy. And then it was Buffy that really took root in my heart. Right. Um, But I've always had a love of the Vampire Diaries books um, until L.J. Smith actually stopped writing them and they just used her name. But the original source material that she wrote is fantastic and I've always loved them. Um, Vampire Academy is another series that I really enjoy, Mm, but they do the vampire myth completely differently than anything that we're going to talk about here. And it okay. really doesn't take anything from the Dracula myth, I don't think, other than drinking blood. Okay. Most of it, I mean, because they're born. They're not turned and they're not oh, evil. Right. Like they have to do something to become evil. It's it's all very bizarre, but it's such a wonderfully interesting take mm. on vampire mythology. Um other than that, you know, those are the ones that I think of whenever I think of vampires. Okay. And they're all ones that have very special places in my heart. Nice. Um, you started off by saying Angel and Spike? Yes. Angel or Spike? You have to choose. I'm making you choose. Give me more context. How and, and what, how am I choosing? What am I choosing for? Because they're different. Your favorite. Spike. Nice. I'm also a Spuffy fan, so. Nice. Just say yes and make me the happiest man on earth. Oh, Spike, of course it's yes. <laughs> I would be curious to hear from our listeners what their favorite vampire stories are. Mm. So if you guys would tweet at us and tell us who you like to watch, listen, think about the most when you're considering vampires, that'd be great. Yeah. Yeah, any big Anne Rice fans out there? Because she did, did do an interesting. I did see Interview mm. with a Vampire when I was in when it came out. 
Like okay. I didn't see it in the theater. It was right. like right after it came out on video. I did see it mm-hmm. then. Um, but back then, I was not yet enamored with vampires. I was enamored with Tom Cruise and Brad Pitt. That's fair. So that's why I watched that movie. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> and then I don't think I ever thought about it again. So. Why do you do this? I like to do it. I enjoy it. Take your receipts, taste pure things. Kill them swiftly if you will. But do it. For do not doubt. You are a killer, Louis. Uh, the, the vampire mythology has a lot of different aspects to it. There, there are core bits of vampirism, drinking blood, mm-hmm. possibly changing into animals, being able to see in mirrors, the invite thing, not being able to go out in sunlight. The, the Dracula myth then has other bits on this, the the brides, the sisters, the, mm-hmm. the, whatever they are, um, being able to change into many animals, possibly super speed and general, general fantastical kind of elements to him. Mm-hmm. As well as the Transylvanian and being having to sleep on Earth from your own country and that kind of thing. Are there aspects of the mythology that you particularly like? Things that when it shows up, you're like, okay, cool, I like when a show does this. I think there are things that, to me, are core vampire. Okay. Not necessarily things that I would go, oh, I really like this idea. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I feel like... So my reaction to Dracula was, wow, they put every possible thing that you can have in this movie... <laughs> Because, of course, they all came from Dracula. So I think that's too much. So I think you have to distill it down. And so the things that come up most commonly are no reflection, right? Mm -hmm. Um, You have to be invited in, even though we saw that kind of in reverse, I feel like, in the Dracula movie. Mm -hmm. Um, We don't often see garlic. When garlic is used, it always makes me laugh. Mm. Um, it's less of, oh, this is a vampire story than, oh, they're poking fun at a vampire story, Mm -hmm. I think. Um, And then the idea that you have to... Wooden stake. That's what it is. Mm. You know, having a wooden stake. Now, in Dracula, it wasn't wood. It was an iron stake. And I don't think it had to be iron. I think it just had to be a stake. They just kept saying stake. But in our day and age you have to put the stake through their heart and they can't go out in sunlight, which I thought was interesting because they've specifically called out in Dracula that you think vampires can't go out in sunlight, but they can. Yeah. They didn't explain anything other than that in Dracula. It was just facts given to us. Mm. But generally speaking, you know, those are the core things for me that make a vampire story. And I like it when authors take those ideas and subvert them. Or find a way to explain them so that people think that's what makes a vampire, but it's something different. Like, Mm. it's not that the Cullens can't go outside in the sunlight. It's that they don't because it would be very clear that they were not normal, right? You know, things like that I find fascinating. I like it when (laughs) you take it just one step further. Mm. I always like the way they have to treat the no reflection thing in the modern world like does that mean cameras right. does that does that mean mobile phones i'd love to see someone who took it even further I mean, like they can't talk on the phone because that's then taking part of them and transmitting it which is what a mirror does which is what a photo does so they can't even talk on phones to people <laughs> like something just bonkers like that but see that would end up being more in the like philosophical space hmm. i think because with digital technology, like digital cameras and stuff, they don't use mirrors anymore, hmm. right? So there, it shouldn't be a problem unless it really is 
it's transmitting a part a portion yeah. of their soul or whatever and so from a philosophical perspective we can't do that and it's not this physical yeah it'd be interesting device mm. that is stopping it i i like when a vampire whatever story pays attention to the the detail of a vampire the, the mm-hmm. one that's jumping to mind that i can talk about is um buffy prophecy girl where angel goes you need to give a cpr i have no breath mm-hmm. like and, and, and when they pay consideration to the fact vampires are very cold or don't eat or can't eat or you know regular food things like that mm-hmm. things that are very small aspects of it but then become important right yeah in in that so in that vamps film when Kristen Ritter is meeting the Van Helsings, she shakes their hand and everyone says hello and then she has to go out to the movies with their son. And Van Helsing turns to his wife, who was the girl who played Sally in Third Rock from the Sun. Okay. <laughs> so she towers over Wallace Right, Shawn. right. Um, and he, he goes, what did you think of her? She's very pale and her hand was very cold. She's a vampire, right? Yeah, yeah, she's a vampire. <laughs> <laughs> These are people who know what the mythology is, so they right. know, look are on the lookout for it. Okay. Mm. Yeah, you're not saying anything that is deterring me from watching this movie, just so you know. <laughs> like, everything you say about it is just like, oh, okay, yeah, that's another check mark for me. I need to go watch this movie. <laughs> it was just weird amongst... It had Malcolm McDowell in it. Really? <laughs> yeah, as um, as Vlad, uh, Vlad Tepes. Okay. The, the original, Vlad the Impaler. Mm-hmm. So they're using part of the part of the thing from this. Okay. All right. So let's dive right into Dracula. I am sure most people know who Dracula is, but I have to tell you, I didn't actually know the plot of Dracula before this. Okay. Um, Can I just interrupt just to go yeah. back to the to the vamp thing? I was like, who played the son? Who played Van Helsing's son? Dan Stevens. Matthew Crawley. Matthew Crawley. Okay, yeah. And the dude yep. from Legion. Yep. <laughs> like this cast was impeccable. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. Dracula. Dracula, yeah. So you, you didn't know you no, haven't seen any of these old ones. This is actually my first in-depth experience of Dracula. I know oh, who he is and I know like Dracula is what kind of bore the modern vampire mythology. Mm-hmm. But I've never read the book. I've never seen a version of the movie. I just know Dracula's a vampire. That's it. Okay. Literally, that's it. Um, so I didn't actually know what this movie was going to be about. Was it going to mm. be about Dracula as a vampire? Was it going to be Dracula's origin story? Like, what are we getting into when you right. sit down to watch this really long movie from 1992? <laughs> and um, in this movie, the centuries-old vampire Count Dracula comes to England to seduce his barrister Jonathan Harker's fiance Mina who looks exactly like his dead wife. And I have to tell you, in all of the possible plots I could have come up with for a Dracula movie, that is not one of them. Okay. What did you think? What were your expectations? Did you have anything? No, I mean, like I said, I was expecting maybe an origin story or um, Dracula running around turning other people into vampires. I don't, I don't know. It, it wasn't... I'm going to go stalk this woman because she looks mm. like my dead wife. Because, mm. yeah, he doesn't come to England to seduce Mina. He is already coming to England. He is already buying property. He wants to, I think the book implies, turn more people. 
Okay. See, now that was not clear. In the, I understood that he was already buying property in London, mm. but he had not made the decision to actually go yet until he saw me in his picture. Okay. And that spurred him to go right then. Right. True. It, it, at least but, that's what it felt like. Well, I think I think it is. This is the culmination of his plans, whatever those plans were. Right. So, and um, we still don't actually know what those plans were. Like, because Harker asked him why these 10 houses all over London and Dracula got upset at the question hmm. but we never got an answer yeah. i think i think in the book it's like towards the end they sort of find out like oh he's been buying a lot of property not just this one i've been working on not just carfax abbey right <laughs> you know? right mm. maybe he was going to turn a lot of people and fill all of those houses with vampires I, I think that is the implication of it okay okay how so how come you've never seen this and how come you've never seen any dracula well Okay, so we know already that I have an aversion to old things, right? Okay, yeah. That's kind of been a premise of this whole podcast is I haven't seen Mm. a lot of things because once I was able to see them, they were just old and I didn't care about old things. I like new and shiny things. That's just part of who I am. I want the latest of everything. And so Dracula, while it informed all of these things that I currently love, to me, it was always this old version of the story. And why do I need to see the old version when all of these new things are already doing it mm. and probably doing it better? That's not actually true, but that's what I was thinking. <laughs> okay. okay. Yeah. Like I, I have come to a place in my life where I recognize that what came before is often better than what we have now. It's just that was not an opinion I held for a right. very long yeah, time. Yeah. <laughs> I needed some culture in my life. I needed Matthew in my life to help get me here. <laughs> One millennial helping another understand old stuff. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> right, a bit of background. Let's let's dive into the conversation on this film, but I think we're going to speak about vampires more broadly again. Bram Stoker's Dracula is a 1992 gothic horror film directed by Francis Ford Coppola and starring Gary Oldman, Winona Ryder, Anthony Hopkins and Keanu Reeves. It is based on the novel by Bram Stoker, attempting to more faithfully adapt the story than previous incarnations. The film was fairly well received. Critics liked the high production values and impressive imagery of the film, but were displeased over the number of plots and threads throughout the film. It was the ninth highest grossing film of the year, but making $216 million against a $40 million budget, ahead of Wayne's World in 10th and behind Sister Act in 8th. The film was nominated for four Academy Awards, all in technical categories, and it won three of them, Best Costume Design, Best Makeup, and Best Sound Effects Editing. 1992 also saw the release of another vampire film earlier in the year, Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Yay! Which I would say has a more enduring legacy. Yes. (laughs) A more positively enduring legacy. (laughs) This film has a legacy. There are references to this film in songs. Um, how were you able to watch this? Do you want to give us the the story of the travails of watching this one? <laughs> so, this movie is available. Um, if you search for Bram Stoker's Dracula on Roku, it tells you all of the places that you could potentially watch this movie. Two of the places it gave me were free. Pluto TV and Crackle. So, I tried Crackle first, and I would get a few minutes into the movie, and it would crash and reboot my whole TV. <laughs> okay. It's like... This is weird. Maybe it's because I was trying to fast forward through some bits. I'll try it again. <laughs> it crashed again. It's like, okay, I am clearly not meant to watch this movie on Crackle. So then I tried Pluto TV. And as soon as I opened Pluto TV, it says, we're sorry, this content is not currently available for viewing. <laughs> and I'm like, well, that's stupid. <laughs> so I'm like, okay, I know I can rent it. 
but I'm going to wait and see if, you know, if I just give it a time, maybe mm-hmm. Crackle won't crash. It'll be fine. So I'd waited until yesterday and tried it again. And sure enough, Crackle crashed again. Uh, like, And it's not just like the app closes. It reboots the entire TV because it's a Roku TV. So then I went searching and I was like, okay, fine. I'm going to rent it on Amazon. And then I go to Amazon and it turns out you can watch it for free on Amazon through the IMDb television channel. Okay. But it will have commercials in it. Okay. And it did. Which is acceptable. Yeah, fine. Well, it had a lot of commercials in it though. Okay. Oh yeah, you do have a lot of commercials over there. (laughs) It was more than I was expecting. So honestly, I would say if you want to watch this movie and Crackle crashes for you as well, just pay up the three ninety nine to watch it, <laughs> or just listen to us talk about it and don't even do that. Yeah, it's on Sky Cinema over here. Of course it is. Everything it is it on the Lumen Sky Cinema. It just worked. It was cool. <laughs> no, as we're about to find out in Vampire Month, not a lot of vampire films are available on Sky Cinema. Okay, I have been paying for and buying a lot of vampire DVDs recently. Oh goodness. Okay, okay. Um, Gary, we've talked about Keanu Reeves. Go back and listen to Point Break if you want to hear us gush about Keanu Reeves. And Keanu Reeves Month was a lot of fun. So what's your experience of Gary Oldman and Winona Ryder and Anthony Hopkins? All right. So Gary Oldman is, you know, Sirius Black from Harry Potter. So there's that. <laughs> of course I know who he is. Um, but he was also Commissioner Gordon in the new Batman movies, which we have talked about on the show. Mm-hmm. And he was also, I don't remember the character's name, but when I see his face... Like, I instantly recognize the character, but he was in The Fifth Element. Mm-hmm. But he doesn't, he's not recognizable to me as Gary Oldman as that character. Okay. Like, when I see that character, I don't see Gary Oldman's face. It's very oh, bizarre. Um, Winona Ryder, we have talked about her on the show before because we did Heather's way, way back mm. on like episode 10, I mm-hmm. think. That was a long time ago. Um, so, I mean, I've seen her in Beetlejuice, Edward Scissorhands. She's currently on Stranger Things. She's not a stranger to me. <laughs> just to Hollywood for like 20 years there. Yeah. Mm. And um, then and then they cast her in a Star Trek film and she was suddenly back. Yeah, yeah, mm. that's right. She was Spike's mom. Spike. Spock's she mom. She was Spike's mom. <laughs> no, because we know what Spike did to his mom. Oh, God, no. <laughs> Don't do that. And Anthony Hopkins. Anthony Hopkins. Um, I've seen him in a lot of things, but most notably Silence of the Lambs, Legends of the Fall, and Westworld. Right. But he's done so much. He has done a lot of stuff. Yeah. Can you tell me if you enjoyed Dracula, Bram Stoker's Dracula, the 1992 version? Can I please have those two hours back of my life? <laughs> Seriously. Um, let's have a good shout out to Katie Sheru on Twitter, who, when I put a call out, say, hey, has anyone got any thoughts? Any, any positive things we can say about this? I got three gifts of people trying to think of stuff. <laughs> One of which might have been a Muppet. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my gosh. There was like... I, I okay. There is one thing that I can say positive about this movie, and I, I don't know. Do we want to just Go cut out the favorite section and just put in the positive yep. stuff here? Yeah, we do that. We can. The only good thing about this movie was Anthony Hopkins. Yeah, he had the best dialogue. That's it. For, for some reason, they decided his character could be quite fun. Yes, uh, and not at the beginning. He was a little dour, and then as the film went on, it's like, oh, he's actually doing the like, humor. Yeah, well, it's because it, it's like he finally got really, really excited as he realized he was getting proof of the vampire myth. Mm. Like, he knew this was something that was real, and he got to be a part of it. And, like, his excitement just built and built. And 
they just gave him some really great lines. Even like our first introduction to him had nothing to do with vampires. He was teaching mm. at the university. I don't remember what he was teaching. He was no, he was teaching about venereal disease specifically mm. because then he made this pun about civilization and civilization <laughs> and it made me laugh and i was like matthew's gonna appreciate that yeah like and that was our introduction to him and then every encounter we had with him after that he had at least one really good line yeah. like i want you to bring me before nightfall a set of post-mortem knives an autopsy Lucy? no 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 not exactly i just want to cut off a head and take out a heart you know like <laughs> and then he just walks so away just totally natural <laughs> Yeah, he had he had some of the really best lines. Mm. Nothing else in this movie was good. The casting it, was terrible. The chemistry was terrible. The accents were terrible. The costumes were good. terrible. No, let's let's. Let, there are. This film has some very high production values. Okay. Almost every single thing you see is a practical effect actually done on screen. The the rising of the brides around Keanu through the sort of mist and mm-hmm. the sheets. Is, ve- is actually very nicely done. Okay, that's fair. It's excessively male gazy, but it is kind of cool how it's like, oh, they're just appearing around him. That's quite nice. That all mm. the the effects with the shadows and the moving, how Gary Oldman moves around in unique mm-hmm. ways and things drip upwards, stuff like that. Okay, they actually filmed it to to do those effects. All right, I will give you that. I w- yes, but yeah. I I feel like pretty much everyone in this film is miscast. Yes. Watching Gary Oldman and Winona Ryder kiss was extremely uncomfortable. Oh, Hollywood. Because she's 21 at this point, I think. Okay. I I didn't look up how old they were. I Mm. just visually it was uncomfortable. And like my knowledge of like it felt like Winona Ryder was very, very young and Gary Oldman was very, very old. Yeah. And it was just uncomfortable and it was weird. Hmm. So so she's the progenitor of this project. She is the one who brought it to Francis Ford Coppola. Really? She wanted to have a meeting with him to clear the air after The Godfather Part 3, which go and listen to us talk about this on The Godfather Part 3, but she wanted to clear the air after what she'd done. Um, so they have lunch and apparently make up and it's all okay. And towards the end of the lunch, she makes, says something like, there's a script for Dracula out there. You might be interested. And it turns out Dracula is one of his favorite stories. So he reads mm-hmm. the script and he then starts work on it. Okay. And part of the things she liked about it was the sort of repressed sexuality of the women. Uh, uh, actually showing that these are women in the late Victorian era who are bound to a very... Particularly these women are bound to a very specific place in their society. Mm-hmm. Not able to work, expected to marry, run a house, that kind of thing. And even the costuming would have to reflect that. The fact they were all expected to be in these corsets and waist cinches and bustles and they are not able to move they are physically restricted in the same way society is restricting them mm-hmm. but they are still women with wants and needs so she wanted she i think the the comment was something like she liked the way the script reflected that and she wanted to see that done in a film okay the problem is for possibly the first third of it certainly all the stuff around mina and lucy Sadie, uh, so Winona Ryder and Sadie Frost, it, it's a less sort of saucy vampire stuff and more just kind of carry on vamping. That is a very big one you have there, is it not, Mr. Woozy? Eh? Oh, this! <laughs> okay. You know, it's just running around making jokes about, oh, he's got a big one. Knife, right. I mean. Ho, ho, ho. Right. Yeah. <laughs> or looking at uh, 
photos in Arabian Nights. Pictures, yes. not photos. Yeah, yeah. But yeah. Like Yeah, it's got do some a man of that. And it's a like, woman really do that? Yeah. In my dreams they do. Oh, sh- <laughs> shut up, Sadie. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Okay, so I let me just put this out there though before we go too deep into this. I right. think that this script Mm-hmm. Like if you if you take the script in a vacuum away from the movie that we saw, I think the script has enormous potential. Okay. I think that if they had cut down on the camp and the mm-hmm. over the topness, if mm-hmm. they had presented this more of Dracula exists. I mean, obviously, all of these things would have existed. Vampirism, the even him turning into animals, like the power that he had, all of that could have existed. But if they had presented it more on a level of like the personalities of the humans who were in this story were more realistic instead of so melodramatic, mm-hmm. I think it could have been really, really well. It could have been a really, really good movie. It could have been yeah. done better. I think that by framing it as over the top as they did is what made it utterly ridiculous and i could not enjoy it yeah like honestly i would not have finished this movie if we didn't have to talk about it today (laughs) really really i i think part of this so i i said up top this wanted to be a very faithful adaptation of the book Mm -hmm. and it is but the problem is the book could do with paring down the book is pages and pages of descriptions and details and it's written in the first section is Jonathan's diary. Then it goes into a mix of Mina's diary and newspaper stuff and the captain of the ship's diary, the captain's log. So the book, the the film did do some of that quite nicely about shifting whose perspective we were in, who's sort of carrying the action mm-hmm. for a period. But even in the way the book is written, there's a lot of fluff there. Mm-hmm. <laughs> the, the whole thing with um, him trapped in the castle with Dracula, that is like, 10% of the book. Oh, wow. And it's just over and over again him being scared and stuff happening that's like, it defies the thing. And I get that probably back when it was published, it might have been published in sections or, or, you know, over a period, something like that. And it probably worked because it was the first introduction to some of these ideas. Right. I think even in 1992, people were more comfortable with a lot of the vampire myth ideas. Mm-hmm. And like I say, the critics were a little harsh on it about... There's a lot of stuff in this, and it doesn't need to be there. It doesn't really go anywhere. The stuff with Lucy, the stuff with Lucy is good because it sets up the threat to Mina, the the sort of combination of sexual lust, uh, along with going, becoming under Dracula's thrall. Mm-hmm. But we don't need that threat. We've sort of already established the threat of the vampire already. Right. We know what that is. Let me ask you a question. You've read go the on. book, then, right? Most of. Sort of. (laughs) Not all of it. I've struggled because it's boring. (laughs) Right. That's how I feel about Lord of the Rings. So I get it. Oh, oh, hobbits walking. Who doesn't want more hobbits walking? I really don't like Frodo. Yeah, I'm sorry. (laughs) This chapter is just, nah, not my favorite. Hmm. Yeah, this chapter kind of sucks, but I still love Frodo. Okay. So I'm on the boat of this chapter kind of sucks and I still don't love Frodo. So, mm. agree to disagree. Mm. You can have them all to yourself. I mean, you have to fight with Aragorn about it, but... <laughs> yes, exactly. Um, in the book, do they take the time to actually explain 
how specifically how what he did turned him into a vampire and how becoming Mm. a vampire gave him all of the powers that he has no and i think this is the benefit of it being the start of the myth it's not the start of the myth the start of the dracula myth right because he can just write any powers he wants and in any stuff and some of it is implied rather than there the the turning into a wolf certainly the bits that i've read it, it implies it that he is the wolf Mm-hmm. But it's never quite stated. I don't think the sunlight thing is stated, but I can't remember, to be honest with you. But okay. I don't think it does anything about how he became Dracula. Okay. It is just he is a monster and Jonathan Harker ends up there. Okay. Hmm. So, well, I mean, it, in the movie, we do at least get he's so distraught over his wife that he, hmm. like, curses the church, stabs the cross, yep. and drinks the blood that comes out of the cross. Yep. Is that what happened? Which I, I quite like. If this is making a deal with the devil for eternal right. life, something like that. But but your eternal life is as an undead creature. Right. Who needs life to continue. Uh, yeah, it's not bad. You know, I've I've seen better Dracula mm-hmm. origin stories. I think I've said somewhere before, again, probably on Twilight, but the Dracula 2000 story that does it, he was Judas. And that's yeah, the start of Dracula. Mm-hmm. And that's why silver affects him. And that's why sun, he can only come out in uh, darkness because he hanged himself at, at um, sunset. Okay. Things like that. Did, um, in other Dracula adaptations, did he, was he like eternally young or did he age the way he did in this adaptation? No, I think, I'm just trying to think back on it. It, it is just, we see him and it is Christopher Lee or Bela Lugosi or whatever the film is, okay. just playing him all the way through. Okay, so this one took liberties mm. by aging him. Yes. And okay. I, and I like that that thing of if he doesn't feed, he does get older. Or he does age and mm-hmm. have less vitality and when he does feed on the Demeter coming over to England, that is what rejuvenates him and he is able to now present as Gary Oldman. Okay. I think that was slightly unclear of why he was old and then suddenly he wasn't anymore. Okay. Um, This movie felt a lot like the Dracula myth was vampires, werewolves, and witches all at once. Mm Mm-hmm. Which I don't think I... I've never understood that all of that was tied up together in the Dracula myth. To me, they're three very separate things. Yeah, it's just he has powers and these are some of them. I don't think it's necessarily the, the the werewolf myth exists with him as well. Right. But, like, he can change into animals if he wants to. Right, but he also had that weird, like, werewolfy thing where he yeah. was, like, man-wolf, right? Yes. Like, he wasn't just a wolf, he was a man-wolf. At least a thinking wolf, yeah, yeah. And um, and at the end it became kind of demonic bat-demon thing. Yeah, yeah. Mm. So I do understand why they made the master look like he looked now. Yeah. In Buffy. Yes. And that's like uh, with Kikistos as well. They are so old, they just end up being right more like a vampire than others. Mm-hmm. I, I like, again, we'll shout out to Buffy here, but I like in Buffy versus Dracula because Spike explains it. That glory house done more harm to vampires than any slayer. His story gets out and suddenly everybody knows how to kill us. Yep. The mirror of it. But he's not just a regular vampire. He has special powers, right? Nothing but showy gypsy stuff. Like, mm. we're in a world where magic exists, and this is the vampire who can do magics. And one right, of them is right. shape-shifting, and one of them is transportation through mist. Yep. Stuff like that. Like, oh, that's cool. Yeah. Yeah. 
Keanu. Keanu Reeves is in this film. Oh, yeah. Bless him. Bless him. <laughs> um, they wanted a hot young actor who would draw a slightly different crowd than might necessarily see this film. Right. And he looked good, I will say. He's a very pretty chap at this time in, in his life. Yeah. Again, pretty much everyone was miscast. Even those who got to use their own accents were not doing good accents. Kerry Elwes is Wesley in this. He mm-hmm. is the Dread Pirate Roberts. Yes. And he's the one who would have been allowed to use his own accent. Oh, Richard E. Grant as well. Yeah. 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 It took me a little while to recognize him. It was not until after Sadie got sick and Anthony Hopkins showed up that I realized that was Carrie Elwes. Right. Because his okay. fa- he wasn't shown up close. He's got a terrible mustache. And I mean, he's yes, got a terrible mustache in, in The Princess Bride as well. But <laughs> Yeah. And I was also, like, super focused on the terribleness of the Texan's accent. Mm-hmm. Because it's like he was trying to do Southern and British together. <laughs> it was weird. Victor- and yeah, that's Victorian when we were introduced Texan. to Arthur's character as well. And I just didn't, I, like, I didn't recognize him until all of a sudden, like, we got a full-on shot of him being yeah. all distraught about Sadie. And and Lucy. so the Quincy, the, was Quin- Quincy was the Texan, I think. Yes. He was the Rocketeer, if you've ever seen the Rocketeer. No. Okay. There was a period in kind of this time, possibly late 80s, early 90s, where the sort of classic serials of the 40s and 50s were made into uh, films. Mm -hmm. Things like The Spirit, Dick Tracy, and The Rocketeer is one of those. So it's a kind of cult favorite. Right. Uh, I remember when the movie came out, I just never Mm. saw it. Okay. You've not seen a movie? Uh. (laughs) (laughs) Um... Keanu gets a lot of flack for this. It is called one of the worst accents ever in film. Of course, sir. I'll attend to the count. Thank you for your confidence. This is a great opportunity for you, Harker. But you'll have to leave uh, Transylvania immediately. Opportunities such as this come but once in a lifetime. Yes, of course, sir. If I may inquire, what in fact happened to Mr. Renfield in Transylvania? And I think that's really harsh. It is actually quite a good received pronunciation, classic British, classic English accent. It just doesn't suit the character at all. Right. I think that that's fair. It doesn't, it certainly doesn't suit Keanu. No. Because I think part of the problem, though, is, you know, we talked previously in, in some of the other Keanu movies, Keanu's voice is very uniquely Keanu. Mm-hmm. Right. It It has such a neutral accent because of his upbringing you know Mm. he he has dual citizenship and and he was raised in multiple places so he has a very very neutral accent and we are just so accustomed to the sound of that voice being so neutral that when it's not it sounds wrong Mm. it just does not work it's If someone else had spoken the words in the exact same accent that he used, it probably would have been fine. But to hear it coming from Keanu's voice is what didn't work. Okay, yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely, because he his look doesn't quite fit either. I think it's the hair in this. Oh my god, that was like is, the most 90s hair ever, and it did it, not fit Ted's Victorian hair, England. Basically, which is really strange. It's like, I can't quite differentiate or distance from that. Mm-hmm. But in the same way, like, Winona Ryder looks like an American actress mm-hmm. of, of the 90s. I just, 
she doesn't quite fit in the Victorian style, and I don't know what it is about her. I can't quite put my finger on it, but there were times I'm just going, I just can't see her as a Victorian lady. Right. Um, well, her accent wasn't that great either. How can you call this science? Do you think Madame Curie would invite such comparisons? <laughs> really? And her accent was actually pretty atrocious. Yeah. So. But Gary Oldman's wasn't great. Welcome to my home. And the really of your own will and leave some of the happiness you bring. Count Dracula? I am Dracula. And I bid you welcome, Mr. Harcourt, to my house. And Gary Oldman, I think, is not very good in this part. Mm. I, I, I will say, I he is a very good character actor. He does brooding and he does angry very well. Um, if we ever watch Leon, which I've been told does not hasn't aged quite as well, but mm-hmm. uh, if we ever watch that, he is remarkable in that from my okay. memory. Um, but I think this needs another level of prestige that I'm not sure he can bring to a role. Sadly. He brought a lot of of that over-the-top, melodramatic kind of machination. Mm. You know, from the beginning when he realizes that Elizabetta, whatever Elizabeth. his wife's name was, mm. um, when she's dead, like, his roar of, like, grief <laughs> and anger was terrible. It's up there with Vader, isn't it? <laughs> like, it was unexpected. It didn't fit. But... But that set the tone for the character because everything else he did as that character fit that. Mm. It, it stayed in that same vein of, I am just going to overact over and It's like if William Shatner tried to play Dracula. <laughs> That's what we got. I want to suck your blood. <laughs> um. Yeah. So I mean I think th- that's another thing if if there had been an actor who had toned down some of that and played Dracula more subdued right it would have been scarier mm-hmm. it would have been I don't know better mm-hmm. to watch somehow so, so I feel like everyone has gone to something of an over the top campy performance in this mm-hmm. I I think all the actors have done that Sadie Frost mm-hmm. Definitely Winona Ryder, I think, at times. Definitely. But everyone of, of the main cast, yeah. And these are good actors. These are people we've seen in other things and particularly enjoyed. So I feel like this is on the director. Yes. This is someone pushing for these performances and getting them to that place of, this is how I want you to be acting. And this is, I want more from you. I want more. It Go to that place. I, I don't think I can put it on any one person to have made a choice and if everyone's reacting around them. I think it's just... Francis Ford Coppola wanted this. And campy is probably not the right word because no one wants to make a campy film unless you're doing like a carry-on film. Mm-hmm. But he wanted something with a lot of emotion and I don't think it fits. I don't think it works for the production they're doing. No. Which is a shame. Because you're right, actually thinking about it, the story and the script and the, the detail they put into the vampire myth is pretty good here. Yeah. Yeah, I think my note was this movie is just way too on the nose. It has potential, but it's way too theatrical and OT over the top. Yeah. So. Yeah, I'd agree. Yeah. Um, okay. I did notice. So the the three brides, the three sisters, whatever, mm-hmm. they were very, very reminiscent of the the furies, I think, or the fates in Angel. Hmm. Hmm. Angel. 
Uh, and that's probably girls? yeah, yeah. That's probably pulling from that. And again, the the brides are part of the Dracula myth. Uh-huh. So let's let's dig into some of the other aspects of the myth that we've not really touched on. You have them, which mm-hmm. fine. They eat babies. They do eat babies, and it sets up the evilness of it. I feel if they wanted to go for something sexy, they went a little bit too far into, and all the women are topless, mm. which is not always sexy. I think this was the same problem I had with the Devil's Advocate. It's like uh, there's a difference between naked and sexy, right? So. I. So this movie, I think, really pushes the boundaries of the metaphor of vampirism as sex, mm. which is something that you see a lot in vampire stories. They are yeah. inexplicably intertwined. And seeing this movie makes me wonder, did that stem from Dracula? Is that a standard vampire myth, or is is that something that was created when Dracula came around? Because we get it a lot, not just in Dracula. We see it, we do see it in Buffy sometimes. Mm-hmm. Um, we certainly see it in A Discovery of Witches. You absolutely see it in True Blood, Interview with a Vampire. <laughs> you know, sex is inexplicably mixed up with blood. Mm. And I think the way that, that Francis Ford Coppola was trying to portray that in this was by bringing nudity into Victorian England. Like, I I don't think yeah. he did it for the sake of nudity. Like, it wasn't, oh, she has a really great body, let's make her naked. I think it was, how can we make this shocking in this setting? Right. So I don't actually know why I'm trying to defend him here, because I, I don't <laughs> think that the movie did a good job with it, but I think mm. I understand what he was trying to do. Okay. Yeah, I just think... I think there were other ways of doing that scene to make it, yeah, absolutely a thing of he's lusting after them and they're yeah. lusting after him without it just being nudity. Yeah. But 90s Hollywood was going that way. Um, well, I think it was worse, though, in the scenes that with Lucy mm-hmm. when she was turning and she was laying there by herself and, like, she was writhing and moaning and clearly experiencing some sort of pleasure when yeah. she was just experiencing like her blood was changing because of what Dracula had done to her that was uncomfortable right mm-hmm. I had the discomfort of Winona Ryder in her nighty running down the stairs clearly with the wind pushing the nighty as close to her as she could not wearing a bra yes if we just watched that scene we're like oh crikey they wanted a very <laughs> specific effect for her running down the stairs and I don't think I think if you weren't wearing a bra you wouldn't run down the stairs like that Right? And if she was, <laughs> she'd be holding her boobs. <laughs> you know? Like, oh, this you are is not wrong. <laughs> Absolutely. So, um, but ignoring that, we also have Renfield. Yes. Um, we haven't talked about Tom Waits as Renfield. No. I actually think he he did a fairly good job with that character. Yeah, he's probably the one you can skip out from all the other stuff we've said. He's really good in that part. Yeah. He's really good as crazy. He's really good at he disappointed his master and being scared of him. I, I like the character anyway. I do like the the, the butt monkey servant of, of Dracula. I'm sick of being the guy who eats insects and gets the funny syphilis. As of this moment, it's over. I'm finished being everybody's butt monkey. Mm-hmm. Um, right, right. It's it's always a nice touch. And I've seen it done in other ways as like the... They're kind of the herald getting to town early before the vampire comes in. Uh, to do certain things 30 days a night did it that the person came in and took out the means of escape for all the people in the town 
Okay. And 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 destroyed the generator so that when the vampires came in, it was just complete darkness. Like, mm. it's a very nice thing. But Tom Waits really does deliver here. A king. I beg you. A little sleek. I'll play for king. Something I can teach. Something I can feed. No one would refuse me a king. Wouldn't you prefer a cat? Oh, oh yes. A big cat. My salvation depends upon it. Your salvation? Yes. I need lives. I need lives for the master. Master, what master? The master will come. And he has promised to make me immortal. Absolutely. And he's exactly the right sort of person for it. He's the right side of crazy. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I had to look up who the actor was. I was like, he looks familiar. Right, yeah. Um, and then I was like, oh, well, of course it's Tom Waits. Mm. I thought it was Ron Perlman for a bit. That I was can the see other that one I thought too, yeah. Bit. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, so that was good. The Sleeping on Earth thing, I don't think they played too much with here. And again, I've seen it done very well as part of the, the Dracula and vampire myth. Um, part of, I think this might be the book. They actually go hunting down all his... Uh, different bits of bits of soil everywhere, okay. and, and staining them so he can't reuse them. Okay. Um, I can't remember. Did they do that in the film? Uh, they just did the ones at Carfax Car- Abbey, Carfax, Cadfax, whatever it was Carfax. called. Carfax. Yeah. <laughs> they they just went there and destroyed what he had there. The sort of town center square area in the town I grew up in is called the Carfax. Okay. Hmm. Speaking of Renfield, um, did you notice that in the scene where he bit the doctor's neck, um, the actor who played, is that Richard Grant? The actor Richard who played Grant, the doctor, yeah, yeah. Jack? Mm-hmm. Um, he grabs the wrong side of his neck. Oh, really? Yeah. <laughs> it's like, that's not where you just got bit, Oh, son. Lord. Oh. <laughs> <sighs> yeah. Honestly, from a continuity perspective, that's the only thing I noticed. Yeah. Um, it's but a it, real it shame, stood it? out as very obvious. Like, mm. I was surprised they left it in. Yeah. Yeah, it's a real shame because, yeah, there are there, there are things that, in this that could have gone well, mm-hmm. but just didn't. Yeah. And I don't want to just sit going like, oh, bad accent, bad performance, bad, but. It has potential. Mm. It kind of makes me want to say, hey, Matthew, let's start making movies and let's go make the good Dracula. But yeah. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So this sets us up for Vampire Month. We, we've set up with basically every aspect of the vampire myth here. And and mm-hmm. I really like, actually, that you've called attention to uh, the the metaphor as vampirism as sex, mm-hmm. that kind of thing, because we will see aspects of that um, in some of the other films. We, we will also see it done purely as a monster thing. Right. The the eating of people. And and this is where it does kind of blur the lines at times. Um, I Am Legend is based on another story that is basically vampires, but I Am Legend does them as zombies. But there's not right. too much difference between a zombie and a vampire. Right. Sorry, I was thinking um, about other vampire stories, and I kept coming back to the, the book, and there's a movie called The Girl with All the Gifts, mm-hmm. and I could not remember, was that vampires or zombies? Mm. Because it it skirts that line. Right. Between the two so closely. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I do think it was actually zombies, not vampires, but okay. I'm not positive. And there are films that I've seen that do sort of cannibalism mm-hmm. as an aspect of, you know, we believe we're rejuvenating ourselves by eating other people. Right. So cannibalism as a quasi-vampire thing. 
Mm-hmm. So it does hit a lot of things outside of the sex metaphor. But vampires are also always done as sexy... Well, not always done. Vampires are often done as sexy, romantic creatures. Yes. And we are definitely going to see that in some of our other films. Yes. You know, Wesley Snipes is going to be a vampire, so I'm here for that. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Are there any of the four films that we're doing that you're most looking forward to? Anything that you know about them? Any expectations you want to set up? The one I'm most looking forward to is the reboot of Fright Night because of David Tennant. Because I've seen (laughs) pictures of David Tennant in it, and I cannot wait to watch him in that role. But now that I've seen him as Crowley, it's probably not quite as far outside of my realm of expectation as it was before I had seen him do that character. And um, what was the thing? Jessica Jones? Yes, Mm. as Kilgrave and Jessica Mm. Jones. But that was more... um, behavioral not physical true, true. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. so it's the the physical like i mean i've only seen pictures of him in fright mm-hmm. night but physically like that's a david tenant i had never seen before okay nice. you know Looking like i'm to used that. to david tenant as the doctor mm-hmm. clean cut and quirky not dark and sexy okay. and gothic right <laughs> so i'm Calm down, i'm excited love. about that one um <laughs> I've seen The Lost Boys, I think, when I was very, very young, but it's one that I just don't remember. Okay. So I know it's like teenage vampires and Kiefer Sutherland is in it. Okay. Right? Like vampires. a blonde Kiefer, Kiefer Sutherland. Kiefer Sutherland is also there. <laughs> so that yeah. could be interesting. You're really excited about Blade and what we do in the shadows, so yeah. I'm curious about them. Yeah, I, I, I'm excited for anything we would have done. So we did a, a poll on Patreon. By the way, go and check out our Patreon. We've got new reward levels, so on. Um, but one of the posts we did a couple of months ago now was which of these vampire films should we watch? Because we mm-hmm. couldn't decide on the fifth one. Uh, and Blade won. I was amazed at Blade won, actually. I was, I was fairly surprised about that. So we could also have done... We could have done Vamps, that uh, Amy Heckling, Alicia Silverstone one. I am so disappointed, you guys. <laughs> so disappointed. I we want had, to watch this movie. Uh, Nosferatu, so the original... And we've not touched on Nosferatu here. It was basically they ripped off the Dracula story and made a film of it okay. because they didn't want to pay the licensing. And then right. they got sued and all prints of Nosferatu were supposed to be destroyed. But fortunately, they weren't because it is a good and scary film. Okay. We had A Girl Walks Home Alone at Night and Let the Right One In, which are both two very modern takes on vampires, very interesting ones. And From Dust Till Dawn, which would have been awesome. Like That is a good vampire film. It's not really okay. a vampire film, but it is a good vampire film. But Blade One... And I'm very excited about Blade. All right. Because that is, that is, and I'm not seeing it in ages, so I'm looking forward to revisiting it. And yeah, what we do in the shadows will be just freaking awesome. Freaking awesome. <laughs> I, I'm looking forward to that. All right. Well, is there anything else that we need to talk about Dracula today? We, we've tangentially referenced the Buffy versus Dracula episode. Mm-hmm. Um, I thought of it particularly when you were talking about the sisters. The Brides, I can't help remember what they're supposed to be called. Because in that, they come out in sort of silky 90s and nuzzle with Giles um, for an extended sequence. At least you weren't making time with the Dracula babes like Giles here. That was not making time. I, I was just about to kill those uh, loathsome creatures when Riley interrupted me. Really? You were going to nuzzle them to death? Right. And again, that's quite sexy, but it's not... Here is lots and lots of skin. I mean, it's, you know, kind right, you of family show. you can do it without... So. being naked but that was a very interesting take on doing dracula to people who know who dracula is and know right. aspects of the myth so that was that was quite good fun um presumably that's one you've seen but didn't really make an impact as oh dracula's a thing 
I mean, I I saw it more from the perspective of this is an amazing way to pay homage to the myth that started all of this stuff. Okay. By putting it into a world where that mythology doesn't actually exist. Right. Right? Like, Mm -hmm. vampires don't turn into bats and Buffy. Mm -hmm. They don't turn into mist and travel, you know, but Dracula does. And they explain it, and it makes perfect sense. And I thought that's really where I was coming from. Got it. When I was watching it. Mm -hmm. Not really from a, oh, it's Dracula. This is so cool. Nice. To be honest, for a Buffy episode, it's not that great. Oh, interesting. Okay. It's not one of my favorites. It's worth revisiting. The first half is where they're dealing with the Dracula stuff is okay. But because it's the episode that's setting up season five. Yeah. You know, it's all about Buffy hunting uh, right, hunting yeah. and killing. And and he even has the line echoing what Tara had said in the episode before. You don't even know what you're becoming. Right. And what you're going to yeah, be. Yeah, so I will be rewatching it very soon. Um, by the time this episode airs... I will have already rewatched it because Buffering the Vampire Slayer is coming back in September with season five, oh, starting nice. with okay. Buffy versus Dracula. So, so yeah. um, from the time we're recording, that's in two weeks. But when this episode comes <laughs> out, it will have been two weeks ago. So okay. I will so, have seen it. Because I was quite surprised there is even a shot of a wolf watching them from the top of the shop parade in Sunnydale. It's like, oh, they've even got a wolf in there. That's quite cool. Oh, okay. I'll yeah. Ha- yeah, I'll have to go back and see if I notice that. Mm. Yeah, ho- hopefully we'll have a different take on that. I'll be interested to hear what you think. and Maybe we can touch on it on a later vampire episode. Yeah, I will say watching this movie and the Renfield character gave me more information on Xander's character in that yes. episode. Yeah, because, yeah. like I said, I, I was familiar with the vampire aspects of Dracula mm-hmm. and, like, what lore directly impacts the creature vampire right but i was completely unfamiliar with renfield as a character okay and so i didn't really understand where xander was coming from like i thought it was funny and you know the way nicholas brennan played it was funny Mm -hmm. but i didn't relate it back to dracula and so that was an interesting new bit of information for me yeah And, and it's interesting how renfield and harker so keanu reeves's character are always used interchangeably in some of the stories. I think in the Bella Lugosi one, it is Renfield that we follow at Dracula's castle. And Harker just comes into the story when he gets to London. Whereas, I'm sure, I think the Christopher Lee one, it is all about Harker and and Renfield isn't really in it. And if he is, it was like way done before that we, everything we've seen. Right, okay. So interesting how sort of different people have different takes of whether he's important, whether they're interchangeable. Right. Hmm. Um, oh, the other thing I wanted to mention was Van Helsing. Mm. I am familiar with the character of Van Helsing right. because um, there's a movie called Van Helsing. <laughs> I think that was Hugh Jackman, mm-hmm. maybe. And then there was a TV show that tried to get off the ground a couple years ago. So I knew as a character, Van Helsing kills vampires. I did not know Van Helsing was from Dracula. Mm. Yeah, he. he uh, we sh- should have touched on that earlier, shouldn't we? Yeah, because he is a proper part of the va- the Dracula myth. Yeah, and Ross, I had no idea. Yeah, he's become his own thing as oh, he's actually you know the original demon hunter that kind of thing. Right? But yeah. No, he is he is the person who takes down Dracula. And again, I think some people do it as he has been hunting for Dracula. Some people do it as he's the one who's able to figure it out because he's the sort of more experienced mentor type. Right. Hmm. 
Oh, one more question for you. Just, okay. I keep, I keep having things. Um, so at the end, Mina's love was enough to kind of rejuvenate Dracula and give him peace before she killed him. Okay. Right? That's kind of what it was portrayed as. Okay. Did – what happened to her? Like the the the, the burn on her forehead mm-hmm. kind of – got healed and went away so mm-hmm. was it implying that suddenly she was healed of vampirism and she was yes. human again yes killing the sire removes it from the people who were turned okay and because mm. she was newly turned and her body had never died she didn't just die when this happened yes maybe yeah yeah okay. i've seen it elsewhere done as if you kill the sire um everyone they sired turns back to human at the age they are now. So if they were turned 100 years ago, they turn 100 years older than they are appearing to be. Okay. But if they were only turned a couple of years ago, they age a couple of years and that's, that's it. Okay. Stuff like that. Interesting. All right. Okay. Again, yeah, it's, it's a nice way you can that. take it. Uh, and and I, I think that is part of the thing is once Dracula's killed, she is then cured of his curse. As right. It were. Okay. Yeah. Hmm. All right. Yeah, I do like the bit with the communion wafer on the head. That is a very nice touch of like... Just trying to do some sort of Christian themed thing. Yeah, this was very heavily like exorcism ish. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like even you had Lucy vomiting blood. Yeah, yeah. Very reminiscent of the the Exorcist a little bit there. Um, and I had made a note of Van Helsing putting the thing on her forehead because we had just seen John Constantine do that. Yes. Yeah. Um, and I'm unfamiliar with that, like why you do that, but. The the reaction was the same in both cases. Yeah. So. I think it is just holy symbols. Because right. they use the cross a lot in the Dracula myth. Right. You cannot go right. near the cross. And and the the thing it always makes me think of is uh, Eddie Azar does a whole thing about vampires, which is very good. Also, the other thing is, I think we've all been thinking this without actually sort of consciously putting it forward. When you watch these films, you think, D- does fingers work? <laughs> just doing the sign of the cross with your fingers. Can... can do you have to have a cross with you, or can you just do that? If it's just fingers, it's great. Anyone can do that, you know. If you ever carry a cross around, we know that the cross works okay. But if the top gets knocked off, it's a T sign. Does that work? But the vampire go, oh, it's a T sign. I'm not stop with that. But then if you hold your thumb up above it, then it's a cross sign, which means it's a shape. So fingers should work. <laughs> oh, that's funny. Mm. I don't know. In theory, no. Because it has to be an actual crucifix. And in theory, the symbol of the crucifix with Christ on the crucifix. But I have also seen it um, in From Dust Till Dawn. They do it with a bit of wood through a shotgun, making the cross, and everyone sort of backs off from it, and then they fire the shotgun and go back to a cross. Yeah. (laughs) Most of the crosses they use in Buffy aren't crucifixes. They're just crosses. The only crucifix I can think of is the one that Willow hangs on her wall. Yeah. As we've said before, Buffy stayed away from religion, though. Yeah, that's true. Absolutely true. Smart. All right. Well, if you would like to join the conversation, you can use the hashtag PC Deprived on Twitter. You can find us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at Eloquent Gushing, or you can send an email to podcast at eloquentgushing.com. And don't forget, as we said up top, we have rejuvenated. We have been reborn on Patreon. We have new funding levels. We have new uh, swag merch, exciting physical rewards. We have exciting digital rewards. We have the awesome uh, Patreon-only show, Mandy and Matthew's Excellent Adventure, where we talk about pop culture. So do come join us, come support us if you like what we do and want us to keep doing it. You can find out more by going to patreon.com slash eloquentgushing.
And we will be back next week where we are going to talk about The Lost Boys with our friend Katie Sheru. So until then, I'm Mandy Kay. And I am the monster the breathing men would kill. Pop Culturally Deprived is an Eloquent Gushing production. For more information, go to eloquentgushing.com or find us on Twitter at eloquentgushing. Oh, we both used the same line. I didn't look to see what yours was. I'm sorry. I thought about leaving it, but it's such a bad line. I was like, yeah, we could both do that one. Because I'm pretty sure we both come at it from different angles. (laughs) 